Well, good morning, guys. So Marty's out of town, as we know. So uh, I'm excited to be here to speak to you guys today. It's going to be an awesome time. And um, I'm actually super, super excited about this specific lesson because it's going to be on the Old Testament and on actually, not the whole Old Testament, but specific parts. And if I'm not sure about you, but I know for me, it took me a while to actually start to like the Old Testament. And um, I just like it, but not think it's like the most boring thing ever, just, just, just being honest. And so I'm excited for today because I'm actually going to be able to speak on a part in the Old Testament that usually I just kind of skipped over. But I actually read it, and it was really cool. And so I'm excited to kind of take you guys on this journey I've been on this, this past month or so, really reading the Old Testament and uh, seeing some really cool things that God spoke to me about. So... Uh, so I want to take you on this journey I've been on. So go to Exodus chapter 11. So Exodus chapter 11. And uh, for those of you who aren't familiar at all with Exodus, this is uh, the time where God was trying to help his people, the Israelites, uh, be broken free from their slavery of the Egyptians. And he did so by all these different plagues from a wide plethora of uh, um, different type of things, from frogs to uh, hail. And so... Exodus chapter 11, God's about to talk to Moses about his final last plague. The plague of the, the death of all the, first, the firstborns in Egypt. But before he explains it, he actually talks about something different. And that thing really threw me, so I want to take you on this journey. That bit on. So Exodus chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the Lord has said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So, I thought that was weird. It's like, wow, God must really hate these Egyptians. Like, not only is he wrecking their entire land, he's asking the Israelites to kind of almost robbed them as well. So, like, they got nothing left. All their, all their gold, all their silver, just, they got nothing. So, I thought that was kind of weird, but it actually happens. Exodus chapter 12, starting verse 33, the Egyptians urged the people to hurry, this is after this plague, um, and leave the country. For otherwise, they said, we, all, we will all die. So, the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders and eating troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. So again, weird. I I mean, they're about to be in the desert for a long, long time. What do the Israelites have to do with gold and silver? Like, what are they going to do with all that? Wouldn't it just kind of weigh them down? So I'm thinking, what are they going to use all this stuff for? Are they just going to open a market and just start, like, at their own economy? Like, what are they using all these gifts from the Egyptians for? So that puzzled me. And if you know your Bible, you know the answer. So I actually, I found the answer for myself in Exodus chapter 25. So turn over there. So Exodus 25. So what are they using all this stuff for? Is it just to look cool crossing the desert? Maybe God has a plan. We did have a plan. Exodus chapter 25, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. And fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather. Acacia wood, 
That's a nice word right there. Olive oil for the lights, um, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant essence, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. A lot of stuff. What is this for? Verse 8 tells us, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishing exactly like the pattern I will show you. So there's the answer. God gave the Israelites all this plunder and all this treasure in hopes that they will use these things to help build them a house. A house that is called a tabernacle. A place that he could dwell in so he could be close to his people and commune with his people. And in the same way, so what's that mean to us? Well, I think today, God has given us different gifts and talents, and he hopes that we would use those things to build up his kingdom. And so... The title of my lesson today is Building Up the Kingdom. And I want to talk a little bit more about this whole tabernacle thing and hope that we can be inspired by all the work that was used to go to this really fancy tent and be inspired that we can do the same to work for the kingdom of God. Sound good? Amen. So many of us don't know what the tabernacle is. Well, lucky for you, I have pictures. I'll explain to you guys. Okay? Sweet. So it's basically a really intricate tent with a lot of important artifacts in it. It also has a surrounding courtyard, mostly used for sacrifices, to get inside the tent to worship God. It was also designed to be portable, so it could be on the go. And because the Israelites moved around, so it was kind of a movable house of God. And it was pretty cool, so I have some pictures for you guys. So that's kind of what it would look like. So a big outer courtyard, which only Israelites could enter through those curtains and go into the courtyard to sacrifice. So then you have the altar of sacrifice there made out of bronze. That is uh, this thing right there. Then you got a little tiny basin of water right there that the priests would wash before they enter the tent, the actual tabernacle. And only priests could enter the tent. So you got the Israelites could do this. Priests can do this. And so only priests could actually enter the tent and to get closer to God. God dwells in the tents. And then you open up the tent and it gets even cooler. So inside, here's kind of a peeled up image of the tent. So you have two parts here. You have the holy room, which is this first room. Got a really cool lampstand. You got bread over here. You got an altar of essence. And then you have the really holy of holies room where the Ark of the Covenants um, lays. So that's right here. Past this curtain. And only the most high priest, the one man, could enter that holy room. And he could only enter it once a year. And that's what would be called the Day of Atonement. And the most high priest would atone for the sins of all Israel and touch the ark and it would be a great time. So that was the tabernacle. And those pictures weren't cool enough for you. I actually got more. So believe it or not, I was already playing this lesson and USC actually had a life-size tabernacle set up at the religious center where I spent all my time. So I was like, whoa, this is amazing. I'm definitely preaching about the tabernacle now. So I went and it was really cool. So here's a picture from the past sky view. So it wasn't life-size as far as like the distance between the courtyard. Obviously, the courtyard was a lot bigger, but the objects were life-size, if that makes sense. So that's kind of the image there. You walk in, you got the, the altar made of bronze. You got the little basin for washing, for watering. So they sacrifice first, then they wash to enter the tent. That's kind of a look of the inside of the altar. It's kind of like a big grill, so that's cool. Then you get inside the tent, you got the altar of essence, you got the really huge lampstand with some 21st century chairs right there. 
Then you got some more bread. And then you got, these are like the, actually the high priest clothing. So his clothes have like gems on, on it, which that's pretty cool. And then you got the ark, which actually had the Ten Commandments in it. So, really cool. You guys are learning. This is awesome. Amen. All right. And here's all the USC students, and they had a lot of fun. And that's the girl they just didn't want to move from the picture. So, so as you can see, I, you might die. That's true. So, as you can see, there are, are a lot of details in this really fancy tent. It's impressive now. It would have been so much more impressive 3,000 years ago. It's, it's like all this stuff's made out of pure gold. It's, it's really, really intricate, um, really specific. And if you actually have a paper Bible, you can see God spends six chapters, six whole chapters, telling Moses exactly how to build this tent. It's crazy, from Exodus 25 to 31. And so I'm reading this, and I'm starting to feel really bad for Moses. Like, oh my gosh, man, God's asking you to build a lot. I'm not sure if Moses was a builder, but I am definitely not a builder. It takes me about five minutes to build a PB&J. And so I'll, I'm like, wow, this is, this is a lot. I would be feeling pretty overwhelmed if I'm Moses. But then Moses gets encouraged in Exodus chapter 31. Let's turn there. In Exodus 31, God gives him some hope. So in verse 1, yeah, I have it up here. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is after all the details were told, said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. To make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. To cut and set stones to work in wood and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I've appointed Alahib, son of... I should have looked up these words. Asimach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given the ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you. So, yes! Hallelujah! I got some ringers. I got some guys. It won't just be me. I have two lead guys to lead the project, and I have so many other workers that God has given to help make this thing happen. So building the tabernacle seems doable now. In the same way, I believe there are a lot of details in the current kingdom of God. A lot more so because now we're dealing with people. And people can be quite complicated sometimes. Just a little bit. And sometimes I feel the burden of that God wants me to really help build up his kingdom. And I feel like, man, God, this is a lot. You're asking me to do a lot. But then I stand here and look at all of you. I'm like, wow, this seems very doable now because we all have different gifts that we can use to build up the kingdom of God. And we have so many talents here. If you guys don't think so, I'll list some. In this room, we have great listeners, great speakers, great musicians, great servants, Great evangelizers, great hosts, great cooks, great families, great couples, great singles, great college students, great teens, great Bible knowledge people, great spirits, great maturity, great leadership, great humility, and all that stuff that just scratched the surface of what we have in this room. There are so many gifts that God wants to use to build up his kingdom. If we all use it, it becomes this, this dream of what God wants to see of his people, more and more people coming into his realm, into his rule, becomes doable. It becomes possible. And it gets really exciting. 
But here's the problem. Sometimes things can distract us from using our gifts for God's kingdom. So going back to Moses, he's probably feeling pretty good right now. Okay, God wants to live with us. He's given me the tools and the resources and the people to make it happen. Let's go. I'm pumped. But then chapter 32 happens right afterwards. So chapter 31, God's getting him excited for this tabernacle. Then chapter 32 happens. Let's see what happens in chapter 32. What happens here? So, verse 1, chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered him, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. So while Moses is hearing from God about all the gold that's needed to make his house, the people are using that gold to make the golden calf. The goal that God had in mind for his house, the people used to make an idol. And I think it's very easy for us to do the same. That we have all these gifts that God has given us, but we use it on different things. And we can put the bulk and the majority and the emphasis of our gifts on things like our work, our schooling, our families, and our interests. And kind of just give God what's left. Sometimes we can place greater value on the secular achievements and things in our life than on doing God's work. And by doing this, we create idols. We create things that are put before his kingdom. And this is me as well. Can I be real with you guys? Um, I know I'm this young book college minister that many of you guys see as passionate and excited about the kingdom of God. But I wasn't always that way. And I still struggle even sometimes today to be that way. And actually, I did not even want this job a few years back. Because in my pride, I thought that, ooh, I was going to Columbia University. And that's an Ivy League. So that's cool. And I'm destined to do something really incredibly important in my life. And I had the whole plan mapped out. I was going to uh, play football for as long as I could. And then go to Harvard Law School. Maybe be a lawyer. Maybe be this big wig politician. That was kind of my, my goal, my, my plan in life. And, yes, I would always give to the church, but it would kind of be a secondary thought. Like, yeah, of course, I would give to the church, but would it be my main, my main focus? Because I thought I was meant to do something actually important in my life. So when my campus minister in New York sat me down my freshman year and said how he had dreams for me to do college ministry right after I graduated, I kind of laughed to myself, like, yeah, you're right, man, okay, that's... That's never going to happen. Oh, maybe not never, but maybe if I do terrible at school and maybe ministry is my last resort, maybe then it would happen, but I wouldn't really be happy about it. That was me just a few. I'm not, I only graduated a couple years ago. That's just me a few years back. I thought I had better, more important, more significant things to do with my life and then just be focused on building up the kingdom of God. And this is not a full-time ministry call to you guys at all. Um, but this is a call for us to have focus on, on God and His kingdom. Yeah. Because I had to really be humbled and get a lot of maturity 
and now I love the kingdom and I want to spend my life serving the kingdom, but it took a little while. So I say that to say that I can relate to all of you if you feel like there's a part of you that feels like you'd rather spend the bulk of your time doing anything that's not church-related. I feel that and I've been there. But God did give us these gifts for a reason, and I don't think it was just for us to get the great job spouse and house of our dreams. I don't think it was just for that. Maybe God's plan for your gifts is bigger than you. And maybe you could find that out if you you really start to have a priority in God's kingdom and not on our own lives. And I think if, I want to ask you you all this question, what would it be like if we all focused on using our God-given gifts and talents to build up his kingdom first and then use what was left to work on our other interests? What would the result be? I think it could be downright inspiring. And actually, the Israelites give us a picture of what that could look like. Because they actually repent and they change and they do some good things. So let's go to Exodus chapter 35. I want to keep getting inspiration from these crazy Israelites. And so Exodus 35, they actually, after the whole golden calf, golden, golden calf debacle, uh, Moses regroups with God. It shows out a new Ten Commandments because Moses broke the other ones in frustration. And then they could finally start doing what God wanted them to do. And I want us to read how the Israelites respond. So Exodus 35, starting in verse verse 4. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have taken offering for the Lord, everyone who is willing to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, and all these other things. Amen? So that's right. Bring it. Bring it all. Now is the time for the Israelites to show up and to shine. To bring what God has given them and put it forth to his house. Let's see what they do. Let's skip down to verse 20. Same chapter, chapter 35. And verse 20. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence. And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold, jewelry of all, of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, or goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, or other durable leathers, brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord. And everyone who had acacia wood for any part of this work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen. And all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. The leaders brought the onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant essence. All the Israelites, men and women who were willing, brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord, through Moses, had commanded them to do. That was a lot to read. They did it all. They showed up. And what's crazy is that just three chapters ago, these are the same people who were worshiping a cow statue. But these people all responded. And they brought everything but the kitchen sink. They brought it all. And what that tells me is that it doesn't actually matter how close you feel to God right now, you can still give something to his kingdom. Some of you, this might actually be the first time 
at church. Maybe not first time ever, but maybe first time in a while. And you think, okay, maybe, how can I, I want to help out God, how can I give this kingdom? Actually, you just being here right now is already giving the gift of encouragement to the person who brought you out. And encouragement, that's a, that's a good gift. I like being encouraged. Encouragement is good. And if you keep showing up, you just keep on giving that gift. And let's say you show up next week and you bring a friend. Wow. That means the levels of encouragement of the person who first brought you out is skyrocketing through the roof. And now they are that much more inspired to bring another friend. And it just kind of keeps on cycling and cycling. Guys, we can all give something to God's kingdom. My point is, it doesn't take much to help build up the kingdom of God. We just have to choose to want to use our individual gifts for it. And what's amazing about this story is that it's actually not over yet. Because the Israelites didn't just give some of their gifts. They went above and beyond. Go to Exodus 36. Start wrapping up here in verse 2. So Moses summoned Bezalel and Oliab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. They brought too many things. Bring more than enough. So then verse 6 happens and Moses says, Then Moses gave an order. And they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more. Because what they'd already had was more than enough to do all the work. What? The Israelites brought more than enough. They had to be restrained from giving their gold to God. How inspiring is that? This nation of... uh, Sith-necked people came and gave more than enough to God's house. And they had to be stopped from giving more. Imagine if we had that problem here. Think about this. Let's say that, okay, we all just started to use our gifts of evangelism. I know many of us think that you don't, but you all have them. They just come in different forms. How about we all just went all out started using our different gifts of joy, kindness, peace, compassion, gentleness, boldness, and above all love, and just started to talk to people and invite them out to church. If we all did that in a few weeks, Ralph might have to make an announcement. <laughs> might have to come up after the song and say, Hey guys, so we're actually packed. We are full. We have too many people at church we got to find a new spot, so please stop inviting all your family and friends. That just We can't take you anymore. Just please give us some time. I know you guys are eager, but please just, we, there's too many people here. How inspiring would that be if we had that problem that we were bringing too many people to church? It would be crazy. It would be incredibly awesome. How about this? How about not just with the people we invite out, how about with all those people we bring, we start to actually have some meaningful conversations about their life, and we ask them to start studying the Bible. We all do that in a few weeks' times. All your small group and family leaders are saying, guys, all right, we have too many people studying the Bible. 
we got, we got to slow it down. We can't handle it. I'm asking you guys, please stop asking people to study the Bible. We, we just can't. There's too many, too many things going on. How crazy would that be? We also got special missions coming up. What if we all really planned and prayed and really got creative and really tried to go above and beyond giving on April 29th? Help support special missions. Maybe Chris Fuqua has to come on up. All right, guys, we blew out our goal. You guys are giving way too much money. We do not know what to do with this, so please, we're asking you to stop giving money. We have too much. That last one probably wouldn't happen because there's always because <laughs> there's always going to be churches in need of support, and always so many more churches that get planted. But we can have this more than enough heart in all three of those things, and in so many areas. And we can be inspired, and in, in the cool thing is we all do it together. We feel like we're really doing something amazing together, and God's glory will shine. Amen. It's our choice. We can we can go all we can all go off on our own. And use the bulk of our talents to accomplish the things we want and use what's left for the kingdom. Or we can all make God's kingdom the priority of our gifts and be just dumbfounded by all that God does with it. I want to close by going to Hebrews. Because I truly think sometimes we can just take for granted how amazing of a gift we have in this kingdom. And Hebrews does an awesome job actually talking about um, the tabernacle and the New Testament. And talking about how what we have through Jesus is so much better. Because the tabernacle is just a temporary house of God. It's not a kingdom. What the kingdom is, the kingdom of God is God's reign. that broke into the earthly realm through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And his church is part of his reign. And we are subjects and representations of his heavenly reign. And we work to bring that reign into all creation. It's inclusive. It's expanding. It's powerful. It's not a movable house for a select group of people. And for really only one man to enter in one day of the year. What we have is so much greater. And Hebrews does a great job talking about it. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. So Hebrews chapter 10. uh, Really chapter 8 and chapter 9 is pretty much all about the tabernacle. And Hebrews chapter 10 kind of ends the writer's uh, thoughts on this. So, starting in verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most highly placed by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled or cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up being together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one, one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Amen. As I mentioned earlier, the tabernacle is cool, but it has some serious flaws. It did. But thanks be to Jesus... We have already been forgiven. Our sins have already been atoned for. And for that reason, we all can have confidence approaching God. We don't have to fear getting close to His presence. We actually have His Spirit living inside of us. That statement would just shock and just blow the minds of the Israelites at that time. 
You have God's spirit living inside you? What? I can't get within 500 feet of the tent. Because I'm not an Israelite. But we all get assured in the presence of God and help other people find God as well. This kingdom that we're given to is so much greater. And I reason that if the Israelites can give all their possessions to a tent, a tent, guys, they can give all their possessions to a tent of God, what should stop us from giving to his kingdom? And to the people and our friends and neighbors that we, we love and cherish. You know, the kingdom is worth our time and efforts. It's worth our gifts. And I pray that today we can all strive to want to give more because the kingdom of God was always meant to be built by a team. You know, one Israelite cannot have built that tabernacle. Could it? One had a lot of gold. Great. The other one was stacked in goat hair. They all had to come together and build as a team. And we all have different gifts. We we as a team already have everything that we need to build God's kingdom. The question is just, are we using our gifts fully to build God's kingdom or just what we want? And I have some scenarios to kind of uh, give you guys to kind of think about maybe where your heart's been. And kind of even also kind of pinpoint what your gifts for God could be. Alright, so here's some things for you guys to consider. Are you smart in school but have pretty much zero Bible knowledge? Are you hardworking at your job, but the last one to volunteer to do anything in the kingdom? Does your spouse and kids know about your exceptional cooking and hosting skills, but no one else? Can you talk to anyone and everyone about any topic under the sun, but fail to talk about the most important topic of all? Are you front and center at work and leading, but sit in the back at church? Do you never miss a moment in your, fi- in your family's life, but miss countless meetings of the body of Christ? Do you love to plan and prep your family vacations months in advance, but give no thought on how to make kingdom events more fun and exciting? Do you take great care of your bodies physically, work out all the time and know all the latest health fads, but do nothing new and exciting for your spirituality? Are you a responsible steward with your family finances and a great budgeter, a great saver, but fail to make God a part of your monthly budgets? Does everyone in your neighborhood know your name, the names of your kids, the name of your dog, but not know that you're a Christian? And I can go on and on and on. Here's my point, church. We already have all the gifts. Many of us have the first scenario, but we don't have the second scenario. Not that we don't have the talents to have both, it's just that we don't prioritize. And we don't give our gifts to God. And we don't try to be both things. So the challenge is not to learn new tricks. It's just the tricks you have, use them for God. And if we all do that, we'll be amazed by what we can build. So I have a challenge for all of you. I, I really want to encourage you all to write down a list of the gifts and talents that God has given you. I already kind of mentioned a bunch of different things. I encourage you guys to reflect and think. If you guys can't think of any, ask the person next to you. I guarantee they can think of something that you're good at, that God can use to encourage and help His people get to know Him. And consider how you can use those gifts and talents more to actually build up the kingdom. And then just... Start building. Let's all just start using our talents and gifts more in God's kingdom. And let's inspire each other and go for it. If we all pitch in, we will build what God has envisioned for us. And it will be glorious. But it has to be together. Because building up the kingdom is a team effort. There's no way around it. God is relying on each and every one of us to bring our gift forward and do something for his kingdom. 
It's even in the song that our kids sing. You guys know that song? Building up the kingdom. Building up the kingdom. Building up the kingdom of the Lord. Brother, can you help me? Sister, can you help me? Building up the kingdom of the Lord. Let's be the Lord's builders. Amen? Amen. Amen.